0: Hi, I'm Jade A. Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair. Did you know you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts? Just search A Public Affair wherever you like to listen, and you'll never miss an episode. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency, radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard before.
1: Hello and welcome to a public affair on WORT 9.9 FM Madison. My name is Nate Carlin and I'll be your host for this hour, subbing so in for Alan Ruff. I'm here with guest Nick Ramos. He is the new executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, starting late last month. Previously, he had worked on Access to the Ballot in Milwaukee and across the state. Nick, welcome to Madison and WRT.
2: Thanks for having me, Nate. Um new to Madison, and so it has been a real treat to be able to call myself a Madisonian. I believe that's what you guys call <laughs> oh, yes. yourselves now. Now uh, you're
1: official. Huh?
2: <laughs> uh, what a culture shock, especially I've lived in Milwaukee almost the last 10 years, and so this is a whole new world in an Aladdin sense of
1: the word. <laughs> so you've been here about a week, is that right?
2: So I officially moved into my new apartment. Labor Day weekend, so while everybody was barbecuing out on the water enjoying the heat, I was picking up furniture with my best friend and my family, just sweating it out and just having the best time you can imagine
1: Right on, and how's Madison been treating you so far?
2: I love it, I mean the energy's just different, I mean and I
1: think too, me
2: moving when school's getting ready to start, I think that added an extra layer to it, I hear that you know Madison can sometimes be a ghost town when school's out and so just everybody's out, everybody's smiling, the food. I smell so many good foods and restaurants that I need to go try. Um, I mean, the energy of this city just comes to life, and I, and
1: I just am drinking it all in. Right on. Well, let's start uh, kind of zoomed out. Uh, what is the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign? That's a great question. <laughs> so the
2: Wisconsin Democracy Campaign was created in 1995. It's a non partisan nonprofit organization dedicated to showcasing and trying to get the best level of government, open government. And how do we get there? So we specifically track the money that gets spent on elections here in the state of Wisconsin. We have, I would say, the premier database to be able to look up candidates and look where the major sectors that are donating to our elected officials and see, again, if there's a specific candidate you want to see and you want to see that maybe agriculture is donating tens of thousands of dollars to this candidate, big pharma, things like that, you can go there and be able to just by a couple of keystrokes and clicks, be able to look up and see where this money's coming in. And I think it's extremely important because at the end of the day, these elected officials are put in the office by us and they're making decisions about our lives every single day, whether or not we know it. And I think it's super important that our electorate is educated about where are these influencers coming in so that if there's things that we do not agree with, we do not see eye to eye with our elected officials. We have an opportunity to address them instead of feeling like it's this cloak and dagger. People are making all these decisions behind closed doors. And so the big thing is, is tracking money. We also track legislation. We want pro-democracy legislation that gives Wisconsinites a seat at the table. And so I love this work. I become a nerd over this work, and and I'm really excited about just the opportunities that we get working under this organization because democracy is such a big word. I mean, (laughs) democracy takes us to so many different walks of life, so many different issues. And I think under my leadership, the democracy campaign is going to do some really exciting things.
1: So uh, how did you come to the organization? When did you like first hear about the Wisconsin democracy campaign?
2: It's a great question as well.
1: Um, So
2: I've heard about the democracy campaign since I got involved with civic engagement since, I mean, I graduated from law school in 2017 and I jumped right into the campaign and political world, but I think I got the most up-close view of the democracy campaign when I was at my previous job at Vote VoteRiders. And so at Vote Riders, the lens is very specific. We were focused on strict photo ID laws and trying to help people get IDs so that they can participate in democracy and vote. So there are coalitions in place here in the voting rights space, and I got an opportunity to see my predecessor, Matt Rothschild. Um, in those settings, we did speeches and events and programming and so i got to from afar appreciate what the democracy campaign was doing our lanes didn't intersect too much since i mean our photo id law here isn't really moving or going in any particular direction but i always admired the work that this organization was doing and when the opportunity came where matt was going to retire and the executive director seat was going to open up I mean, I thought it was the opportunity of a lifetime and I wanted to
1: stay in this space. Fantastic. Yeah. So when you're looking at democracy in Wisconsin, I guess, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, We only have an hour? Yeah. yeah, Uh, Just fill up the rest of the time with that question. Wow.
2: (laughs) Um, Well, let's just say this. Um, In this particular lens, I mean, and I've only been executive director for about three weeks now. It feels extremely toxic to me. Hmm. Um, And when I say toxic, I mean, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of wiggle room. It feels like there's so much partisanship that's going on instead of trying to focus on the legislation and the things that really deliver for the Wisconsinites here. Um, I mean, we've seen in recent memory, we're talking literally about the current redistricting case that's in front of the Supreme Court right now and the the dog and pony show that's going on with that. We've seen our chief election official, Megan Wolf, go through her own type of dog and pony show um, about whether or not she's going to remain administrator. It just feels like right now everybody is so hyper-partisan and I want people to take a step back and let's not just have these major political talking points. Let's think about what's the best for our neighbors. What are the things that will make this state the best it can be instead of, we want to get quick and cheap victories on things, either in the media or in Senate hearings or at at the legislature. So it's a weird time, and I'm hoping that we can. Maybe I'm that's just the eternal optimist in me. But I I think there's always room on both sides of the aisle where we can make compromises. Where individuals, again, we're just talking about pro democracy things that are the best for everybody. Not just trying. We want everybody to have a seat at the table at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, as a a average. Wisconsinite. I feel like 2023 is kind of like the calm between the storms. We just had that huge Supreme Court election. Now 2024 is, of course, looming on the horizon. I guess uh, what should people expect in the next year for in terms of getting ready for the, the big presidential election?
2: I say buckle up, Wisconsin, because, I mean, I would assume our listeners here understand that we have a presidential election next year. um, And we also, Wisconsin, specifically Milwaukee, is hosting the Republican National Convention late next year. So I always say this. I mean, Wisconsin is so important to this country for so many reasons, but the eyes of this nation are going to be on this state because of this presidential election. Um, We saw in 2020 how close it was. We also saw a lot of the news and controversy and election denialism and all these things that have taken place. And I just think we're at a weird place right now where uh, we're talking about election integrity. We're talking about, you know, trying to make sure our elections are fair and secure, even though they've been fair and secure for, I don't know, eons. So I just say I want everybody to tune in and pay attention to what's happening because there's going to be a lot of information, both good and bad. And I want there to be trusted I want trusted delivers of messaging to the people so that they can be well informed to be able to make great decisions and be able to be educated.
1: Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to A Public Fair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Nate Carlin, and today we're talking with Executive Director Nick Ramos about his work on the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. We'd like to hear what you think about the state of democracy in Wisconsin. Please give us a call at 608-256-2001. I want to pivot a little bit, or maybe not even pivot that much, into the question of SLAP and uh, anti-SLAP legislation. So can you give us a quick definition of what is SLAP?
2: absolutely (laughs) so slap stands for strategic lawsuit against public participation so you might be wondering well what does that mean (laughs) well let's just take it a step back and give a real world example that i think a lot of people either have seen or heard about so former president donald trump um, there was a lot of issues or a lot of things that were brought up as far as, as far as his tax information, tax returns, whether or not they could be released. The New York Times published an article that was releasing and sharing that information. Former President Trump then decided to sue the New York Times um, to try and put a quash on that article being published and the reporting that was done on that article in the state of new york they had legislation to eventual i mean to neutralize slap lawsuits and slaps are done in a way that are in bad faith they are treated as frivolous because you are initiating a legal proceeding to try and quiet someone else from exercising the first amendment right and so recently in wisconsin We had two of our elected officials, both Jimmy Anderson and Melissa Agard, who created their own anti slap legislation, because Wisconsin is one of 19 states in the entire country that has nothing on the books, um, to try and, again, protect media outlets, individuals like you and I. If you lived in an apartment and you did not like the amenities or something was really bad about your apartment. Like it had bed bugs and you went on a website and started to comment about it and it started to get traction and the apartment complex definitely doesn't want bad publicity. So they try to silence you by suing you and they've got resources that you don't have access to. They're trying to scare you away from being able to exercise your first amendment, right? And so the anti slap legislation gives Individuals an opportunity to be able to have recourse when an entity is trying to sue you to silence you. And so once if this anti-slap legislation were to become law um, under the bill that's being proposed, it gives individuals an opportunity to be able to re- recoup the money that would have went into the suit if the judge deems the case to be frivolous. And so I think it, At the end of the day, regardless of who brought this bill, I think it's a bill that Republicans and Democrats can both look eye to eye and say, you know what, I think this is good for protecting the First Amendment in Wisconsin. And if we're serious about the constitutional amendments, we're serious about protecting Wisconsinites, then I think we really do need to see some bipartisanship about creating this protection for individuals like you and I.
1: Yeah, one of the things you brought up in your piece is that this is kind of similar to other legislation that has made its way through when I was talking about suing um, government officials for FOIA stuff. Right. Uh, can you can you make that comparison for us?
2: Absolutely. And in that press conference that took place, um, Bill Leaders, uh, who is the president of the Wisconsin Information Freedom uh, Project, I believe I'm saying that correctly. Bill, don't don't get mad <laughs> at me. For That's, for That's right. Um, But, you know, you mentioned this parallel of, okay, I mean, when we are, we have open records laws here, and there are certain rules that are in place to be able to make sure that we are getting records in a timely fashion. It's as soon as practicable and without delay. And there's some real, I mean, wiggle room as to what that actually even means in the first place. But... There's been bipartisan bipartisan legislation um, to be able to not go after individuals that are making these open records requests and and to actually protect them. Because, again, at the end of the day, this information that governments hold that we have access to and we have a right to be able to see that documentation without being penalized for it. And I just think that that particular bill. I mean, it shows the fact that they're, they're eerily similar and that like we want to make sure that we're not going to give other entities that have power over us this ability to be able to punish us for just asking simple questions or being able to speak our minds on specific things when it's just it's our right to be able to freely speak under the first amendment. And so I think there's a roadmap for this particular legislation to be able to be passed as law. My hope is, is that again, both sides can see that this is something that is ultimately really good for Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. Do you see that as a likely passage or is this going to be kind of an uphill, uh, route for the bill to become a law? Uh,
2: I would say it's uphill as it stands right now. Um, until there are Republican electeds who either co-sponsor or support this thing, I don't think it's going to make it anywhere uh, at the Capitol, if I'm just being honest.
1: Uh, do you have an idea of why there's Republican resistance to this? Is, is it just partisan? Do they have qualms about uh, the, the effects of anti-slap legislation? Or do you know why they're... Maybe slow rolling this.
2: <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily know why, but I would just say that I just think there's time to have conversations and be able to bring people aboard. I I don't think it's anything uh, from my perspective. I don't think anything malicious is happening. I just think that there needs to be a branch extended. And I think there is really opportunity to be able to pass something that both sides can be like, well, this is good. And this is going to protect so many people from frivolous, legis- I mean, from frivolous lawsuits. And so um, I think the jury is still out on that one. And we're going to see. And I think there's going to be a lot of work that so that we can be able to see something, some anti-slap legislation be law of the land. But um, I'm optimistic. I really do think that there is potential for this bill to become law.
1: Now, can you talk about the other side for a minute? I- I'm curious about like. I think there's a a certain type of person that really views defamation as one of their tools they have to protect themselves against malicious lies being spread. And and so there's a a group of people that really want to defend defamation as a a route to protect themselves. Um, Is there a threat to that from from the anti slap legislation? How, How are they making sure that, are they making sure, I guess, that defamation is still, if you are defamed, you have legal recourses?
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, in the First Amendment, Uh, beyond the right to free speech there's a right to be able to go to the government and have grievances redressed and and so when there are actual defamation cases that come before a court we shouldn't be you know acting like this anti-slap is going to completely throw those out when our first amendment right to be able to go to a court a judiciary and be able to have you know them decide a case slap lawsuits are treated differently because they're done in bad faith they're done in a way that it's not defamation if an individual is merely reporting the truth on something the court will be able to see whether or not this person is defaming the other entity and then they will be able to make a a judgment call and a decision that will either decide that this lawsuit that this plaintiff is bringing is frivolous and it does not have merit. So therefore we're going to throw it out or they will look at the elements of defamation, see that they're there and be able to pursue it instead of, you know, wiping it out because of any anti-slap, I mean, by by any anti-slap legislation. So uh, I think for those individuals that are, want to make sure that they have the right to be able to bring defamation lawsuits, that's still going to be intact. And this anti-slap bill from how I read it does not, tackle that or does not wipe
1: it out now when you see someone who brings a lawsuit that you would deem a slap uh is the goal to win in court or is the goal something else
2: (laughs) um i honestly i mean i've never brought a (laughs) slap lawsuit so uh i'll put my attorney hat on and just say this i think it's really a tool to terrorize somebody i mean i don't think even if you like if you're the person that brings the slap lawsuit against somebody that you're trying to silence, I don't think necessarily like, I think the goal is to hopefully shut them down and to rack up the legal fees so high that this person then lets the case go. Um, And we've seen situations where a party defends itself from a plaintiff that is suing them in a slap lawsuit. And at the end of that lawsuit, the party that was defending itself won basically saying like okay what they said was fine it's okay the the plaintiff loses but the problem is is that the amount of time and money that went into that lawsuit in the first place a lot of times it bankrupts people it ends up i mean lawyers aren't cheap and i'm one of them you know <laughs> like it's it costs real money and for middle class individuals um you know we only have so many resources at our disposal and for some of these big these big, well-pocketed individuals or organizations, I mean, they can run you into the ground with these suits if they're allowed to run amok in our courts.
1: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the observer effect? I I know it's something that's come up in some of the other anti-slap discussions. Like, what happens to someone when they see their neighbor gets sued by the landlord for writing about bed bugs? I mean, what kind of network effects are, are happening here?
2: Oh, it's an absolute ripple effect. I mean, it... I mean, it makes it it creates an environment where you don't want to call out bad actors because you know that you're going to end up going to court and and not be able to successfully represent yourself because uh, they have legal teams and money and resources. They can draw out so many legal proceedings and, the, and it's going to be a situation where, well, it's better I keep my mouth shut. Then go down this whole rabbit hole, because I know the rabbit hole is going to be awful. Um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, people are, have the opportunity to freely speak under our First Amendment. And I don't want there to be a situation where individuals see their neighbor go through that and they're like, all right, I'm just going to put my hands up, forget about it. I don't want anything to do with this. We're just going to let bad things happen (laughs) and just hope for the best. You know, that's an awful way to live life. And I want people and I want this legislation so badly because I think it does get rid of that chilling effect that often happens when you see slap lawsuits just go flying
1: left and right. And uh, I guess, so slap is its own thing. How do you see that linking up to that you're working with Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, like is, is this a a core issue of democracy, and how if it's just sort of about defamation?
2: <laughs> well,
1: as we started the call or the radio
2: interview today, um, democracy is a really big word, <laughs> and um, when we are tracking legislation um, that is going to be put on the floor, uh, hopefully get voted on. The goal is to try and figure out what things really are pro-democracy, regardless of who's bringing it to the table. And one of the very first things that was brought to me was the anti slap legislation. It was actually the very first thing I wrote about as an executive director. And I've witnessed it happen in other states, and I've seen... States that have had anti-slap legislation that have been able to knock these things down. And then I've seen states where there isn't any. And it's just kind of like, all right, well, it's the Wild West low key. So it's for me and I think for the organization, it's important to highlight the types of bills um, that might not necessarily be sexy per se, but they are. Trying to ensure that everybody has equity and everybody has the same level of protection here in the state And so we're going to continue to look at a variety of different bills that get pre- presented by senators and assembly members And we want to showcase and highlight the things that make Wisconsin the best it can be
1: makes sense. so uh, Let's say the bill does not pass um, and SLAP What slap is still an option in Wisconsin. Is there anything that people can do? What, what else can happen here besides a law gets passed?
2: Well, <clears throat> it's kind of an uncharted territory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean,
2: because we've seen courts, we've seen courts without anti-SLAP legislation in place use other rationale to be able to try and protect individuals. I mean, and it really is going to just depend on again how the court sees the facts as far as what what individuals are saying and then whether or not they either rise to a level of defamation or if it ends up just being protected free speech and that individual can say what they said and not be you know attacked for it my hope i mean i don't want to operate in a space where we don't have anti-slap legislation in place because i think it really like i said i think if we're really serious about protecting the rights of wisconsinites then we should be looking to have these enforceable bills and legislation in place so that we can point to something specific um but at the end of the day my hope i want people to be able to exercise their first amendment right and Uh, We'll have to see if this one ends up making it to the finish line or not. Then we can come back and then speculate after some time and see what the impact was.
1: Well, today on Public Affair, our guest is Nick Ramos, executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. Recently wrote an op-ed in support of anti-slap legislation at the state capitol. If you have any questions for our guest, please give us a call at 608-256-2001. We'd love to hear how you feel about the anti-slap proposal. Let me ask you this. Why now? Is slap something that's just been on the books forever and we've just been living with it since uh, we invented lawsuits? Or is there something recently that it, is the number of slap lawsuits increasing, I guess?
2: I think it ended up, I mean, I'm this is speculating, but I think one of uh, our elected officials before he was an elected official, Um, made some comments during a public meeting. And then the local newspaper reported upon those comments. He didn't like that very much. He sued them. And then I think the ramifications of that particular lawsuit, I think that newspaper might be close to going out of business, if not on their way out. And the elected officials that did bring this legislation, both Jimmy and Melissa, they saw this and were inspired enough to be able to draft something and create something. There might have been other things that have come to the forefront that have been in that slap realm. But that's just my feeling. And again, as a new executive director that walked in this job three weeks ago. Um, that's what I get the vibe is that moment and maybe some other moments, but that specific moment led to, we need this and we don't want to see situations like this happen again in
1: the future. Yeah. Uh, you get the sense that, well, let me, maybe I'll start this way. Part of the slap picture to me is that there seems to be a lot of decision making in Wisconsin that's happening in the courts, right? We're seeing stuff about the gerrymander go through there. We're seeing stuff about voter rights. We're seeing stuff about uh, these these lawsuits. Do you see that as a problem where the courts are making a lot more of our public decisions and the legislature is making less?
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> personally, I would say Yes. Um, I don't think we can go to our courts for absolutely everything. We can't make, we can't have our courts then making laws. Their job is to review the law and then be able to apply the facts and see whether or not that particular case, whether it's legal or illegal. And so I think there's been this real attention to our judiciary because right now the current landscape of our legislature is one where one party is in control of both parts of the assembly and the senate so therefore a lot of the bills that i think the minority party um want to bring they feel like they get shot down immediately there's no real i think if the numbers were closer as far as Um, representation, Republicans and Democrats, I think maybe we would see more bipartisanship. But I think at this moment in time, because there doesn't really look like there's a real path for the minority party to be able to submit legislation, then you see, all right, well, we're going to have the court now decide what exactly the path is going to be going forward. Ideally, I think we have electeds who are reaching across the aisle and trying to figure out where we can have bipartisanship so that we're creating loss. I mean, we're creating legislation that will make the best that we can for the state.
1: Yeah. It's frustrating as a voter to, to think like who I vote for Senate or to the, the assembly. It almost doesn't matter in Madison, but who I vote for the Supreme court, all of a sudden that really changes the the laws that i'm living under and and the 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 public policy that that's being enacted and it seems a little backwards to me well i mean i think you can
2: thank the current maps that we have in wisconsin because i mean i think back 2018 especially you had a situation where statewide races were decided where every democrat candidate ended up winning the state races but then if we look at the state assembly and senate races it ended up being more republican seats were then collected than democrat even though the same amount of votes as far as like if we think about it like this the popular vote for all intents and purposes went to democrats and statewide races but if we're looking at the 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 state legislature seats, they ended up taking more seats, which the math doesn't really make sense to me. And that if we're looking at, all right, well, there was more, there were more votes for a particular party, but yet they got the Republicans ended up getting more seats. Um, And it's the way that the maps have been drawn up in such a way where districts have been carved out to be able to change where your vote is actually going and so i just think right now we're at a place where there hasn't been any study that i have seen that have said that our maps are fair as the, as is and i think right now if we're if we're really true to wanting to make sure everyone has a voice and everyone has that vote that matters at the end of the day that we need better maps to reflect that because as it stands, the votes aren't adding up to actually represent us as far as where we're living at and actually having elected officials that represent us. So
1: we're talking about that, like big democracy idea. Where do you see uh, resisting the gerrymander or, or trying to do something about the gerrymander in, in that picture?
2: Well, I mean, it's, low-key playing out right now and low-key i mean high-key um <clears throat> i mean the maps have been very one-sided for over a decade now and now that we have a redistricting case in front of the supreme court now we're getting to see a lot of individuals come forth and be like no we need to Justice pro on the campaign trail said the maps are rigged She needs to recuse herself. The Democratic Party of Wisconsin has donated $10 million to her campaign. She needs to recuse herself. And we need somebody else to either decide this or we need to have the court be split. And I just think it's problematic for a variety of reasons. One, the things that were said on the campaign trail, I don't care what party you're in, um, it does not just automatically mean a recusal. Candidates have beliefs. They are human beings. They are not robots. They can have, you know, stances on things. But we have this assumption that when they put the robes on, when they're in the courtroom, they are in there as an objective individual looking at the facts, applying the case law, making a decision. So when it comes to these comments of well the maps are rigged well one i think that's a pretty objective statement and as i said earlier if you show me something that tells me that the maps are fair i would love to see it and i would love to see if it's a credible resource because there have been so many independent studies that have looked at our maps here in wisconsin and they all have come back and said we have one of the worst gerrymandered states in this in in the entire country so i think when i said at the beginning that democracy feels a little bit toxic right now i think we're seeing individuals afraid to lose power afraid that if we end up changing the maps and end up doing a completely nonpartisan redistricting of wisconsin that the very power that they've been holding on to might be gone but the people have spoken There needs to be an opportunity for our judges and our justices to be able to do the job that they were voted into office for. And I think at the end of the day, we need to see where this redistricting case goes. My hope is that we will be looking at fair maps at the end of this versus what we've been accustomed to, which have been very hyper-partisan maps that have been created to be very one-sided. That's not fair for anybody here in Wisconsin, I don't think.
1: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the Robin Voss calling for Judge Protossay, which is recusal? I know that that's one that's been on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, in our newsroom. Yeah. Um,
2: <clears throat> so, I mean, I alluded to the the framework that um, Assembly Speaker Ross, I mean, Voss has um, shared with the media and has shared publicly. Um Back to uh, Justice Sewitz's comments back on the campaign trail when she said the maps were fair and, and rigged. And then he's also made the argument that she shouldn't be hearing this case because the Democratic Party of Wisconsin has uh, donated $10 million to her campaign. And for for starters, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin is not a party in this particular lawsuit Uh, law forward brought the suit so on that argument it's like well if the democratic party did bring this lawsuit okay i mean i can hear what you're saying um has that stopped other justices from recusing themselves from what i would argue are material conflicts of interest it hasn't from what i've studied um but that's that problem's not even there and then as i said about the comments there was an independent uh, we had in an independent body review the comments that Justice Protestowitz made and dismissed all of them outright. So I I'm just kind of sitting here wondering, all right, you wanted to recuse and now she has that decision to ultimately decide that. Um but if she doesn't recuse, now you're threatening impeachment. And impeachment I don't even think should be a conversation. Like impeachment is 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 there for individuals that commit crimes while in office. Justice Protosawitz has not heard a single case. She got sworn in August 1st. It's September 7th. What are we doing here? Like, I think it's all trying to avoid
1: her, but also just the entire court from hearing this redistricting case in the first place. Yeah, can you maybe spin that out for me a little bit, though? Because I feel like there's something kind of interesting there where Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, a lot of what you guys do is chasing this money in elections. She has money in her election brought from various people, um, and then we argue that that's not going to affect her decisions, and we kind of argue that it does in all these other spaces. No, I mean, it's, it's a fair point. And I think something that, I
2: have thought a lot about since I've taken this position is the fact that we need public financing desperately in this state. We had a democracy trust fund back in 2011 that was abolished. There was a framework in place to be able to give us us being normal people more power instead of all of these different interests and in all of these well-endowed individuals that have tons of money to be able to just flood them into these races and be able to essentially decide outcomes I really think we need to be getting back to a public financing option where small donors are have more of a seat at the table than the ones that can flood races with millions and tens of thousands of dollars because and I mean we just got done talking about, Justice Protosiewicz, Speaker Voss talking about how $10 million from the Democratic Party went to her race. She shouldn't be able to hear this case. All of this stuff. I think both sides can say, well, spending is kind of out of control here. Maybe we should look to try and find a way where we level the playing field. And I think the public financing option is a way for us to get there um whether or not there will ultimately be be bipartisanship for such an idea i don't know but personally i mean we've seen the success as far as new york has done it they have a one i think it's a one dollar to six match for public donations so it gives out people that again i i don't have millions of dollars sitting in the bank i don't have the opportunity like i'm in interested in you know the political landscape i want to know who my elected officials are i have beliefs on you know all types of things but for the regular joe schmo individual i think there's an opportunity for us to have more power in this whole election process and i think public financing gets us there
1: yeah it does seem odd to me i I think public financing is one of those ones that everyone or at least i should say campaign reform finance reform is one that everyone all sides of the aisle on paper believes in can you talk to me a little bit about why it's so the struggles to get something actually passed on that
2: (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) candidly i mean i think everybody knows that this is the solution but they also see that like if i can if i can get more money to be able to side this race i want to be able to have a more i don't know a a better sense of how the race and the outcome is going to be if i know that i need x amount of money to go do x y and z it's like we all see that this is the issue we know what the solution is but i don't know if we're there at the point where people really are like all right like we need to then take a step back and think about equity and try and make this even for everybody i think we all acknowledge the problem but We're going to continue with the current landscape as is because I guess there's more predictability to it. If we know that we can raise certain amount of money to do certain things and we can perhaps win the race, like, I don't think there's really that much urgency to then go change the rules.
1: So we're talking today with Nick Ramos, executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. The Democracy Campaign works on all sorts of issues related to the influence of money on our civic life. If you have any questions for our guest or comments about the destructive effect of money in our politics, give us a call at 608-256-2001. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, uh, building on that, too, I feel like with the, the election earlier this year, there was a lot of talk about money from outside of the state. Uh, can you give us a little idea of what what that picture looks like these days yeah
2: i mean earlier i said the eyes of the nation are going to be on wisconsin and i think the supreme court race in 2023 for a lot of outside organizations that are not in the state was somewhat of a litmus test for what might be the next upcoming attractions for the presidential election my homeland is ohio and i remember growing up and and people saying you know as ohio goes the nation goes it feels (laughs) like now it's as wisconsin goes the nation goes and so wisconsin is is a battleground state that also is almost it's like a testing ground as well to be able to see what messaging what ends up really getting um wisconsin voters moving in one direction or the other because i mean i've lived here for 10 years now i think just about everybody knows that Wisconsin elections are sided with the razor thin margins. And so it's this opportunity to flood unparalleled money into races to then see what can then be applied on a national model. And and I think the twenty twenty three election was no exception to that. I think that's why we got to see record spending on a Supreme Court race, a nonpartisan, and I say that with air quotes, nonpartisan. Supreme Court race, and yet there were parties on both sides and organizations that are partisan, dumping all types of money for both candidates to see what the outcome would ultimately be.
1: That's really interesting. Well, it looks like we have a caller. Uh, Randy wants to ask us a question. Go ahead, Randy.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, first, uh, I think uh, Wisconsin Republicans are giving uh, hypocrisy a bad name. But what I wanted, what I wanted to ask about, is the fact that. Uh, the um, we we have a representative democracy, a republican democracy, and uh, the now that's become that's being used against us. Um, so we had the dramatic examples of uh, Ohio and Kansas um, getting the direct uh, direct uh, people's votes. Uh, here in Wisconsin, we had a, a referendum on abortion. approve of it. And it's like, it's like that doesn't exist. Um, I I guess uh, all I'm doing is uh, observing that uh, uh, right now, uh, all, all our representative democracy uh, that's in the hands of Republicans is, uh, is weaponized to use a favorite word uh, against uh, actual democracy.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And, and thanks for calling in Randy. Um, I mean, I hear you loud and clear, and I think at the end of the day, referendums are very useful tools, and I think this state especially, we need to be able to get, we need to be able to effectively take the temperature of what Wisconsinites want, and referendums are that tool. But at the same breath, like, there needs to be action behind those things. If we see that there are issues that are extremely popular um here in the state but then you know you vote on it and then nothing happens about it i mean it doesn't i I would lose faith in the system if i'm like all right well 80 percent of my neighbors you know think this is a great idea but we're not going to do anything about it it's like all right well why did we bother to vote in the first place if we're not going to actually have any action behind it so i mean i appreciate you taking the time to call in randy i mean it's definitely thought-provoking for sure
1: yeah, to, to build off the question a little bit, um, it does seem like things like campaign finance reform that ha- have very high public opinions, uh, lots of public support, there's not a lot of political movement and maybe even just not something so obviously about politics right. you know, something like abortion that's <laughs> sure. just more of a social policy. It doesn't affect the politicians' professional careers the way campaign finance reform does. And yet there's still not a lot of movement in the popularly elected Branches of our government. So, I guess besides the gerrymander, what else is causing that?
2: Well, I mean, bringing it back to Ohio for a second. I mean, uh, in Ohio, they have the ability to put, like, citizens in Ohio have the ability to put forth ballot initiatives where, uh, as it stands, if they're able to get a majority vote, 51%, then there's real teeth at the end of that to be able to actually enact, you know, whatever they're voting on versus in Wisconsin we don't have the same mechanism in place where if there's a ballot initiative led by citizens and gets 51% of the vote uh there's no recourse to then enact that you know our our elected officials can then decide whether or not they're going to seriously take it up and we talked about abortion it could be marijuana it could be a variety of things but um, right now, until something changes legally about like how we go about referendums and ballot initiatives and things like that, there's nothing to really make anybody do anything about it. You know, It's just great information to know that we've surveyed the state of Wisconsin and they think this idea is very popular, but uh, we don't have to really do anything about it at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, just speaking as an observer myself, it does seem like politicians choose to use referenda to drive voter turnout more than they use it to direct policy. And there's something very off-putting about that as a voter, where you show up in the ballot box and you think you're letting your voice be known, but it was really just like a trick to get you into the ballot box. And I don't know. That's that strikes me as frustrating. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> when I was still living in Milwaukee, I'll never forget. I mean, I was talking to
2: uh, a voter that I was helping out who lost their ID. And she's like, I voted for this. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the issue was. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it was a referenda, but uh, that's not law. So (laughs) and I was like, I had to kind of give like a civics lesson, you know, right there. I'm like, this is the state of things. You know, they got to hear what you feel on that, but it didn't change anything, unfortunately.
1: Well, it'd be remiss in the last uh, five minutes here if we didn't at least touch on ballot access, because I feel like that's one that's going to be big next year, certainly is big in the courts uh, last few years um what's the state of access to the ballot in wisconsin well (laughs) man you let you save the best for last
2: (laughs) (laughs) my goodness um well here's the thing i think i just always start off any question like that by just having this very simple framework that voting should be easy not hard and my hope for the 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 end of this year and the years to come is that we take that same framework and we apply it to the types of rules and legislation that direct voting here in this state we used to have drop boxes everywhere in wisconsin they were struck out (laughs) um i don't i've gotten the opportunity to hear the variety of reasons as far as why we shouldn't have drop boxes everywhere but We've seen that it has decreased the amount of individuals that are vid- are voting um, absentee. And I think we should be really taking a very close look at what are the mechanisms in place to make voting as easy as possible for everybody. And that goes for our elderly, the disabled community, uh, individuals that live in areas that might not have the same amount of amenities and resources around where it takes it requires a long car ride, a long bus ride, a long walk. I think we all need to just take a step back and see what we can do so that individuals from every party, from every walk of life, have an opportunity to cast their vote. And, I mean, I brag about it all the time as far as I go places. I'm like, Wisconsin is some of the highest voter turnout in the entire country, man. Like, I tell people that, and I, and I like to flex that, and I want to keep that alive, and I think we can still do better. I just think... There's just been so much issues as far as we're going to try and say there's election fraud, but not have any real substance to back that up. So then we're going to try and, you know, find ways to eliminate mechanisms for people to go vote. And I just think that's such a problem. I think until you show me that there's widespread voter fraud, um, I'm telling you right now, the, the individuals that run our elections on the local level, they're some of the hardest working best people that want to see the best for our communities. And we shouldn't be villainizing and demonizing these individuals. They're taking time out of their day to go make democracy as open, transparent, and as efficient as possible. And at the very top, what's going on with administrator Wolf, I think is just beyond me at this point in time. She has led us through a pandemic. She has done so much to be able to make sure that our elections are free and secure and the best in this country so let's do more to make sure that we're taking care of our wisconsin election officials and let's do more to make sure that we're making voting as easy as possible for everybody
1: so uh real quick before we wrap up here what are you looking forward to in your new role what's what's a project you're like you're hoping to dig your teeth into wow
2: <laughs> man well um here's the thing I'm the first black and Hispanic individual to run this organization, and diversity is very important to me. I don't think we can make really well-informed, educated decisions on things unless we got everybody at the table. And so the big thing for me is that I really want to take the time to do some some real deep coalition building to organizations that perhaps we've never talked to in the first place. And that can be diversity in thinking, that could be diversity in color, that can be diversity in sexual preference. I don't care. I want everybody at the table so that when we are looking at pro-democracy legislation, when we are looking at elections, when we're looking at all these big things that us in the pro-democracy space are trying to tackle. We have all of the organizations that ought to be at the table making those decisions. And so I'm working on that. I mean, I started meeting with tons of organizations already, and I'm going to keep doing it. And I want to travel the state. I want to be able to meet people where they are, hear what are the pro-democracy issues that are important to them, and be able to provide real victories for them so that they're educated about the process care about the process and are along the way every step of the journey so uh, that's just 50,000 feet thinking after only being on the job three weeks, but uh, it's been it's been a ride so far, and I'm loving every minute of it.
1: All right. Well, we look forward to seeing what, uh, what kind of work you guys can do over there. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for our guest, Nick Ramos, for sitting down and talking with us. Thank you as well to our producer, Jade, and our sound engineer, Jack. You've been listening to A Public Affair, 89.9 FM, Wart Madison. Thanks, everybody.
0: Triangulation of our station in the fight Straight from the base, deep down, no precision High crime, treason, we broadcast in sedition Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions Live and direct, becoming never free be record